0: Let us worship our great God. I invite you to stand if you are able with your order of service in hand as we hear our God's call from Psalm 66. Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you they sing praises to your name, Selah. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us to answer his call this morning. O oh Lord, you are glorious, you are mighty, you are the one true and living God, and we come to you, Father, Son, and Spirit, answering your call. We come in the righteousness of Christ, we come in the power of the Spirit, we come by the truth of your Word. Father, we look to enjoy fellowship and communion with you this morning. We're looking forward to the Spirit working through the means of grace to call the lost and to be Let's put our voices together as we sing praises to the Lord. You'll find on page 5, praise God for joy of Sabbath blessed. We have now the opportunity to come by faith and to bow before our, our great Creator and Savior and confess our sins to Him in anticipation of hearing uh, His assurance of pardon from His Word. So let's do that now. Let's pray aloud together. Almighty and gracious God, we humbly confess our sins and implore Your mercy. We have not loved you with our entire being, neither have we loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have not done justly, nor loved mercy, nor walked humbly with you. Instead, we have sinned against our neighbors, and more grievously, we have sinned against you. Therefore, Father, we ask you to forgive us for the sake of Your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that the Spirit may create in us a clean heart to the glory of Your holy name. Amen. As we confess by faith, here now by faith, the assurance of pardon from God's words, he speaks to us in 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. Well, we've had now the opportunity to heed the Lord's call, come into His presence. We've had the opportunity to confess our sins together, to hear uh, his proclamation of pardon, the assurance that we have, and now we're able to come together and confess our faith. You know, One of the reasons that we confess our faith together, out loud, publicly, is because as we uh, read in, in God's word in Matthew 10, Jesus says that as we acknowledge him publicly before others, he acknowledges us before together. Let's put our our voices as one as we confess what we believe. It is necessary to everlasting salvation that one believe in the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the right faith is that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is God and man, God of the substance of the Father, begotten before the worlds, and man of the substance of his mother, born in the world, perfect God and perfect man, of a reasonable soul in human flesh subsisting, equal to the Father as touching his Godhead, and inferior to the Father as touching his manhood, who although he is God and man, yet he is not too but one Christ, one, not by conversion of the Godhead into flesh, but by assumption of the manhood into God, one altogether, not by confusion of substance, but by unity of person. For as the reasonable soul and flesh is one man, so God and man is one Christ. Amen. As you remain seated, we'll respond together by singing the Gloria adernum that's found on page 6. Father in heaven, we thank you for the great provision that you give to each of your people. We're thankful, Lord, even for the common grace that you extend to to your creation, to your world, as you've promised that the seasons will continue, uh, that, Lord, you care for uh, even the animals around us as you look after those and bring rains upon the fields for both the just and the unjust. We praise you and thank you that you are kind and merciful. Lord, we thank you for the great provision. What a blessing it is for the generosity of your people, the generosity of your church at large uh, that has been laboring in prayer and giving to help us establish this new church for your glory and the benefit of your people and the benefit uh, we pray for this community. Lord, we thank you that you teach us through giving and our gifts uh, how to steward well All that you have granted us for your glory, whether it's the treasure you give us, the time, or the talents. So, Lord, grant us hearts and are generous. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. benefits and, and blessings uh, and privileges of being a redeemed child of God as it were, adopted, sons and daughters uh, of our Heavenly Father, and in that adoption, we're given spirits to be able to cry out uh, Abba, Father, to come to Him in prayer. So let's do that now. Pray with me silently as I lead us in prayer, and, and then invite us all to conclude our season of prayer together as we pray the Lord's Prayer. Lord, You, You are strong and mighty, and we ask that You would make us strong in the faith, that You would strengthen our faith, that You would give us strength in You, and that in our strength in Christ, that we might enjoy all the blessings and benefits that come in being in union with Him. Lord, as we pray and ask for strength, we ask that you might grant us physical strength, that we would have the endurance that is needed, that we would be able to work in the different callings and and labors that you've granted to us, that we would do that for your glory. Lord, not only that we would work in the callings you've given to us, but that we would have the the strength of body to be able to to work in such a way that we might uh, help one another, we might carry each other's burdens, that we might be as the body of Christ here at Christ Church. Lord, we ask that you would give us strength of heart, that we might love you above all else, that we would live by faith, that we would accept and rejoice in your word, and that we would love you with our entire being. Lord, we ask for your help that that we might... uh, not only love you, but that we would love our neighbors as well, that we would love others by witnessing Christ to them, inviting them uh, to church, that Lord, we would show mercy to those around us, that we would pursue biblical justice in our spheres of influence, that we would be patient with others as you are patient with us. Lord, we ask that you would not only open up opportunities for us this coming week to have gospel conversations, that we might Uh, bear witness to christ not only in the words we say and the attitudes we have but also in our deeds and the things uh, that we do so we ask that you'd open up opportunities that we might be able to show uh, loving mercy to those around us lord help us to adorn our witness of christ with good works that glorify you good works that you tell us in ephesians that you foreordained before the beginning Time for your people to do for each of us Father we pray and ask that you would give us a greater desire to grow in our relationship with you that you would help us to to understand in a better way in a deeper way the love that you have for us it's hard for us as finite creatures to grasp you as you are infinite you are sovereign Lord you are omnipresence omniscient, or you were all-powerful, but we pray that you would, would teach us and that we might, in all things, be quick to flee to you, that we might seek not to stand in our own strength, but to stand in yours and in your grace. Lord, help us to love you more. Help us to enjoy you as we seek to glorify You. And Lord, help our weak faith, for it is weak that in Your love, that in our love for You, that we may seek to first Your kingdom and and Your righteousness. Lord, we pray for Your church worldwide. We pray for the denomination that we are a part of, the Presbyterian Church in America. We pray for the presbytery we are a part of. Lord, we pray for your church here in Knoxville. We ask that you would would bless your churches. We pray for our neighboring church down the street, First Baptist Powell. And Lord, as we pray for we're First Baptist, we pray for Christ' Church. we pray for all the churches in this area. We pray that uh, you would, would be amongst us, that our Lord's day would be glorious, that, that the means of grace would be flowing in corporate worship, that our love for you would grow as your people. Our witness for Christ would be great. the aroma of the Lord Jesus Christ would go forth in our community, we would be salt and light as your people and that we might see the building of your church. That you would fill this room and the rooms of all of the buildings in which your church is meeting today, and that we might have great need to expand, and that you would continue to grow your kingdom through the saving and gathering of your people. Lord, we pray not just for your church, but we pray also for the civil magistrate, We pray for the salvation of our civil leaders. We pray for grace to be poured out upon them. We pray that you would give them godly wisdom and and that you would surround them with wise counselors. Lord, we pray also that you would give all those in positions of authority, particularly in the civil sphere, a, a robust, healthy fear of you, that they might understand that, like all of us, they will stand before you and account for everything that they do in their lives and in their service. So we ask for grace for those who are in leadership in the civil sphere. We ask for grace for those who are in leadership in the church, those who are in in leadership in the marketplace. And Lord, we ask for, for grace for all of us. Help us to be, as your people, salt and light. Lord, we are thankful for the opportunity to gather together. So we put our voices together as your people as we come and pray as Christ has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen. We have our opportunity now to come to our continuous uh, scripture reading. We'll begin in the Old Testament and move to the New Testament. Uh, For those who are uh, new with us in person or or online, we're currently reading through uh, the book of Numbers for our Old Testament reading. Uh, we're going to be doing a little bit of a a survey of chapters 18 to 20 as we just read a section of chapter 20 this morning but chapters 18 and 19 in numbers describe the the duties of the priests and the Levites uh, along with the laws of purification and all this is pointing forward to the Lord Jesus Christ who is the one who brought Uh, purification and forgiveness for his people as he accomplished that in his perfect life, his death on the cross, and his resurrection. We'll uh, read in chapter 20 of uh, the ending of the season of wandering that the Israelites had in the wilderness as it comes uh, to a conclusion here. So this is God's word. We're going to be reading from Numbers chapter 20, beginning in... Verse 1. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the people together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. Moses sent messengers from Kadesh. We have met. How our fathers went down to Egypt, and we lived in Egypt a long time. And the Egyptians dealt harshly with us and our fathers. And when we we cried to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. And here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through field or vineyard or drink water from your well. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. through lest I come out with the sword against you and the people of Israel said to him we will go up by the highway if and if we drink of your water I and my livestock then I will pay for it let me only pass through on foot nothing more but he said you shall not pass through and Edom came out against them with a large army and a strong force thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory so Israel turned away from him And they journeyed from Kadesh and the people of Israel. The whole congregation came to Mount Hor. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron at Mount Hor on the border of the land of Edom, Let Aaron be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land that I have given to the people of Israel, because you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Take Aaron and Eleazar his son and bring them up to Mount Hor. And strip Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar his son, and Aaron shall be gathered to his people and shall die there. Moses did as the Lord commanded, and they went up Mount Hor in sight of the congregation, and Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar, his son, and Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. When all the congregation saw that Aaron had perished, all the house of Israel wept for Aaron 30 days. We turn our attention to our New Testament reading as we've been reading through the book of Romans Uh, we're in chapter 12 If you're using a a pew Bible there you'll find it on uh, page 891 Uh, here in chapter 12 there's a a transition that happens in the book of Romans Uh, we're going from under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit Paul has been writing and and laying out and in giving uh, application or a practice for God's people and how they are to live. And it's going to begin here as we read about life in the church, what that looks like in the body of Christ. So this is God's word. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, For by so doing, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not become, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen, amen. We've had the opportunity to hear from, from God as we've uh, moved through our continuous reading together. And, and now we come together and we're going to sing God's word. So we minister to one another and praise God our great God, reading uh, as we sing a rendition of Psalm 91. You'll find on pages 7 and 8 in your order of service. Let's stand, if you're able, as we all sing together. Lord, to help us as we prepare to hear the reading and preaching of His Word. Oh Lord, our gracious God, we are thankful that You have blessed us with the gift of Your Word, that You've spoken, that You've not left us in darkness to wander and and to try to, to somehow discern Your thoughts. That though the the heavens and this creation and this world declares your glory and your existence, we are thankful that you've given to us your word which you've revealed to us the gospel. You've revealed to us who you are, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. So we ask this morning as we come to your word, as we hear it read, as, as we hear it preached, that the Spirit would be working mightily amongst us that we might see great fruit coming forth in the the calling and saving of the lost, and, and Lord, also in the quipping of the saints, the building up of your church. Oh, Lord, do this for your glory. and our benefit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you'll turn your Bibles or tap on your devices uh, and, and make it to Matthew chapter 5, uh, we're continuing our series through the Sermon on the Mount as we'll be looking uh, through chapters 5 and 7 in, in Matthew. I've reminded us each time, and and hopefully will help set for us uh, a little bit of the context of what we're looking at as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, particularly the Beatitudes uh, right now, is uh, Dr. Sinclair Ferguson has has written about this Sermon of Christ. He writes, it's not a sermon about an ideal life and an ideal world, but about the kingdom life and a fallen world. And We're going to be looking at just one Beatitude this morning. Uh, But we can't separate the Beatitude, one of them, from all the Beatitude, or the context of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, While we might be able to look at it, we want to keep in our minds this entire beginning to the Sermon all the Beatitudes. So we'll be reading the context here, verses 2 to 12. We'll come back and focus on verse 6. So this is God's Word. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Again, as I mentioned, we're focusing in on verse 6 this morning. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied children have y'all ever found yourself in a place where you're asking your parents or grandparents uh, what's for dinner now it wasn't I assume being a child at one time myself it wasn't a question that just came out of curiosity but but it probably came because your stomach was beginning to to grumble and you were hungry and you're wondering man what are we going to eat Or maybe children, you've been outside during the summer running around playing tag or or whatever it is you like to do outside because it's so much better to be outside than in front of screens. And and you're running around and it's hot and and all of a sudden out of nowhere it hits you. I am so thirsty. I don't get a drink of water. I think I'm gonna gonna fall over. So children, you know what it is a little bit to hunger and, and thirst and adults. I trust you can remember what it was like. Be a child, and and to to have that that hunger and, and thirst. Thankfully, for, for most of us, most likely uh, there probably hasn't been uh, either a long season of your life or even a time uh, where where you found yourself uh, hungering and thirsting because you were starving and didn't have the ability to get any food or you couldn't get to clean water to drink or, or something that's there. But but sadly, we, we look around the world today, and, and that is a reality for for. Uh, for for some and we see throughout history that's a reality that others have faced where it wasn't just a man, my stomach is grumbling and and I wonder what's for dinner, but it was I haven't eaten in a couple of days And I literally think I'm gonna die and I need to find something or I haven't had anything to drink My throat is is so parched. I just want to be refreshed with something and I hope we all could imagine or, or, or think about, if we haven't been in that situation, what it must be like. The, the almost obsession it would be to, to find food, to find something to drink. We'd have to do it. We'd know our lives depended on it. Because we truly were hungering and thirsting for food and drink. And, and drink. There's also a different kind of hunger and thirsting that we see uh, around us, we see in the world. I'm sure you've experienced, perhaps wrestled with, and that's not just a a physical hunger and thirsting, but it's it's more of a hungering and thirsting for for things. Uh, Often it, it fits into categories of like pleasure, power, profits, those type of things. And those can be almost just as gripping of a hunger and a thirst that people have a desire to accomplish these things, to do whatever it takes to get them. Sadly, we, we see around the world in our, in our own communities, you, you see in history, you read about tales, that, that people so gripped with this obsession, this hunger and thirst for these things that it literally brings about their own death. And then we read our verse here and we, we see that there's, there's another seemingly unquenchable thirst that comes, one that doesn't cause us to do crazy things, but but gives us a great desire, those who are in faith in Christ, a multifaceted hunger and thirst that the Lord gives to his people, and it's one that as we look at our, our, our verse this morning, We see that only Jesus satisfies his people's hunger for legal, moral, and social righteousness. It's only in Christ that this this hunger and thirst is satisfied. And it is one that that God does give to his people. He gives us this glorious and, and natural hunger and thirst for his things of righteousness. So we're going to look at three things together this morning. The Christian's hunger and thirst for legal righteousness. The Christian's hunger and thirst for moral righteousness. And the Christian's hunger and thirst for, for social righteousness. So legal, moral, and social we're going to look at together. Just this one little verse. Even as we keep in mind where we've been already in the great context of the Beatitudes as we have seen it so far. But this first hunger and thirst we see for legal righteousness... It's because Jesus, dear saints, is your savior that he satisfies this hunger and thirst for for legal righteousness that that the Lord gives to you when he gives you faith. Now, there are several ways that Christians uh, have legal righteousness in Christ. Perhaps this isn't the way that we think all the time, but the scriptures lay them out for us, and we see that, but but there is an aspect of of the, the the legal righteousness and our standing before God. You know, as sinners by nature, by, as sinners by action, everyone stands before God, guilty of sin and worthy of sins, death penalty that comes with it as we read in the scriptures. But praise the Lord, when God saves you, he removes from you, he takes that hunger and thirst that you had for for sin and things of unrighteousness that we talked about a little bit that is driving so many and he replaces that with a no longer a sinful nature but he replaces it with a nature that that loves him that hungers and thirsts for Christ that hungers and thirsts for righteousness a hunger and thirst that is only satisfied in Christ and by faith in in Christ you Christian, your sin was imputed or placed upon Jesus when he went to the cross and then his perfect righteousness is imputed or placed upon you. So that it, as you're in Christ and you stand before the Father and he looks upon you he doesn't, he doesn't see your guilt but instead he sees the righteousness of his son. And there's actually a this penalty for sin that we read about in the scriptures, the penalty of death, paid for by our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see this, this legal righteousness that we have in Jesus that's been imputed to us. We read in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 21, just of this, For our sake... He made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the reality is, we read the scriptures, we don't want to get confused, we don't want to think the way the world thinks. And that thought might be that um, what happens is, uh, God, he says we shouldn't do certain things, and, and, and the reality is, though, that he kind of just looks the other way. And as long as we're, you know, we're good and, and, and we try to to love him and, and love other people and do these things that God, he, he kind of winks at the sin. He's like the grandpa that's like oh, you know, kids will be kids but I love you. But that's not the reality. The reality is that God is holy and sin as it came into the universe sin has to be dealt with and has a penalty and it's sin. And God can't just, just ignore it. But God did something about it and that is what we're talking about with this imputed righteousness of Christ. That's why Christ went to the cross and died, to deal with the penalty of sin. So that you, dear saints, trusting in Christ, would not be subject to that penalty, but instead would be able to, in Christ, enjoy the blessings and the benefits that come from being an adopted, forgiven child of God. Believers are legally justified by faith alone. Now, we've talked about this already in in our time of the Beatitudes. We talk about it often. Uh, I've already mentioned it, but there's no way that you might be able to earn your salvation. You can't be good enough to earn forgiveness from God. It's not possible. There are many that try it. There are many uh, false religions and, and, and cults that seek to pursue that, but there is no way that we in our sinful nature and our sinfulness are able to earn our own justification before God. You know, we read in, in Romans chapter 3, in verse 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith, apart from works of the law. They're reminded us by, by faith, it's the work of Christ, not an attempt for our own work. Salvation is a gift you're saved by, by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we read in Ephesians chapter chapter 2. It's not about your efforts. It's about what Christ has done. We praise the Lord for that. Because of that, Christians have this uh, beautiful relationship with Christ. We're brought into union with Him. And being in union with Christ, we, we participate with Him in His death and His resurrection. And because of that, we inherit all of the the glorious blessings that come from His death and His resurrection. Again, as I mentioned, as as the Father looks at us, He doesn't look at our sin, but He looks at the the righteous robes of Christ wrapped around us. And we get to enjoy that that union that we have with Christ. Let's read in Galatians chapter 4. I'm speaking just just of this reality here, starting in verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That's what we get to enjoy, being in union with Christ. We're an heir to the inheritance of salvation, all the glorious riches that come in that reality. We're no longer slaves bound to sin. We have been redeemed from that. And the Lord invites us, as we're going to get to come to his table here shortly and enjoy a, a spiritually nourishing meal in the same way, king of kings invites us to come to his table as his adopted sons and daughters to come and take a seat at his table as his child that we might enjoy all the honors, privileges, and blessings that come with being in the king's family. It's on the basis of of legal righteousness, that Christians are able to enjoy these, these blessings that we, we speak of. It causes the hunger and thirst for, for legal righteousness. Uh, this aspect, uh, I hope what it does is one of the things is, as it drives us to praise God, as it drives us in all to worship Him and to be thankful that He would do such a thing for us, that the next thing we do is we love God, that we turn in love to our neighbors and want to see that for those around us, our friends, our family that it would cause us to to rejoice in our witness of Christ to those who are around us, that we would not only be praying that God might bring to salvation all those He's appointed unto salvation, as we read in Acts, but that it would cause us by faith to go forth, knowing the Spirit is at work as we share the hope of Christ with those who are around us and as we share His love in our actions. So that is... The Christians hunger and thirst for, for legal righteousness, and it brings us to the Christians' hunger and thirst for, for moral righteousness. And it's because Jesus is your Lord and King that he satisfies this hunger and thirst that you have, dear saints, for moral righteousness. When God saves you, He, he proves that by making you more and more like Jesus. It conforms you to the image of His Son. The Spirit is working in sanctification. You know, it's a beautiful thing that happens when God saves us. Several things are happening. One, we look at the, the beauty, perhaps maybe not all the time we see the beauty of it, but the adoption into the family that God brings us in to the local church. That He doesn't just save us, redeem us, and say, Ah, oh, have a good life. And I go, save some other folks. But He brings us in. And bringing us in, He gives us the, the blessing of. Of enjoying the means of grace and, and, and the means in which he has given of, of the elders equipping the saints that the saints might be about the work of ministry uh, together there might be salt and light in all things, and that is uh, beautiful and it is it is glorious for us and there's another wonderful aspect too though, not just that we're brought together, which is wonderful uh, but that The Lord doesn't leave us where he finds us. Now, we don't clean ourselves up for God. You don't have to make yourself good enough that you can be saved. But when God saves you, he does not leave you where he finds you. That's the beautiful thing. When the Lord came to me and he saved me, living in a fraternity house with all the things that go with that, God didn't say, be well and have a good life. But the Spirit began to work. When he redeems us, there's that immediate, definitive sanctification, you are holy before me. And then he works progressively in sanctification the rest of our lives through the means of grace to make us more like Christ. So that as we grow in maturity and over time that we can look back and praise the Lord as we've grown in the faith and more and more like Christ. He didn't just leave us where he found us because he loves us. He cares for us. We heard from Dr. Ferguson earlier, and a few more things. Again, if you'll give me a moment to hear what he has to say about this. Ferguson writes, Jesus saves us from sin's power and its influence. He not only brings pardon, but he works in us to make us live in our right relationship with God. Thus in Romans 5.21, Paul says that God's grace reigns in our lives through righteousness It is not only a gift, it is our reigning king in Jesus Christ. It reigns and it does so through righteousness, never apart from righteousness. Right living is what we hunger and thirst for as well as forgiveness. If we do not, then our supposed longing for a right relationship with God has proved false. We cannot take Christ's gift of forgiveness but neglect his demands of right living. This is one of the great tragedies of the church today that we have come to believe in what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace, a savior who leaves us as much as we were instead of actually saving us from sin. How horrible that would be for God to say, I save you, but I don't remove you from the bondage of the enemy. That's not the invitation to the table, that's not adoption as a son and daughter of Christ, of our great God. So there are several ways Christians grow in moral righteousness with God in Christ Jesus. As I mentioned, the Holy Spirit's at work in us. There's that that moment of redemption, that definitive, declarative righteousness that we bear. There's the progressive or growing sanctification in Christ. We read in the scriptures that we are not who we once were when God comes and gives us new hearts, new natures. He redeems us. He makes us new creatures. We read that in uh, the letter to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we see this from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. As Paul writes about this, we see this aspect of being a new creature in Christ. As he writes, he says, "...or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived." Does the Holy Spirit work sanctification using the means of grace, word, prayer, sacrament, even the fellowship of the saints as he works in us, growing us in godliness and Christ's likeness The Holy Spirit's at work every time you pick up the scriptures and you read. Every time we read together, the Holy Spirit is at work. Whenever you, you think about God's word, you take perhaps a passage or a verse and, and, you, and you're, you're meditating upon it. You're sitting and you're thinking and, and, you're, and you're prayerfully mulling it through and, and you're trying to bring to bear the rest of scripture and, and consider these things. The Holy Spirit is at work in that. Conforming you to the image of our Savior as he renews your mind in God's word. And it's interesting our our standards that we hold to in the PCA, this reformed understanding that that particularly there's an aspect. We see it in Romans and other places, but there's a particular aspect that not just the reading, but the preaching of God's word that the Spirit uses that. Something as we read in the epistles, as Paul writes on in the inspiration of the whole, something as foolish as preaching. Something that seems so seemingly simple and weak. And yet, that's what God chooses to use. So children, keep this in mind, but adults as well. That's why, I, one, ask that you pray for me throughout the week, your pastor. But when, when I come by God's grace, reading his word and praying his word, it's not in the hope. That somehow I'll be able to bring some convincing argument or or my charisma might come through if there is charisma, but instead that the Holy Spirit will be at work. That the Holy Spirit will be the one driving truth into your hearts and minds. Something that I can't do. But praise the Lord when the Spirit is at work, it happens. And we rejoice in it. The Holy Spirit uses private prayer life, your private prayer life. He uses our corporate prayer life. Life at the church with your brothers and sisters in Christ. The Spirit uses sacraments, those covenant signs and seals, your baptism as you remember these things, these, these signs and seals, the, the Lord's Supper is we're going to uh, participate in, enjoy the spiritual nourishment, this sign and seal, this new covenant meal. The Holy Spirit uses these things, growing us and sanctifying us, growing us in moral righteousness, giving us a, a growing more and more thirst and hunger for these things, the things of God. And the Spirit even uses our fellowship here at Christ Church, bringing us together as God's people. We read about in Romans in our continuous reading from the New Testament uh, of the body of Christ being brought together. Christ is our head. The Holy Spirit uses even that, that we might in Christ, by the work of the Spirit, encourage one another, lovingly challenge one another, bring God's word to bear, come alongside one another when we need to and literally love one another, help one another so we looked at the, this legal righteousness, this moral righteousness and for the few moments we have left we're going to look at the Christians hunger and thirst for social righteousness as well, the, the, the third of this multifaceted aspect of righteousness that I mentioned Because Jesus is creator, ruler, and sustainer of all things, he is the one alone that satisfies your hunger and thirst to see social righteousness. I do think it's clear because there's been some confusion, I think, if you look around and you hear some things. No one's saved by social justice or pursuing these things. Uh, We've seen it in aspects of the church, and we've seen it in aspects of even the secular side, of folks who are attempting to bring about... Uh, a utopian society and they pursue what is often called social justice but even as we understand that it be as christians very wrong to not grasp that god has called us he's equipping us to walk in light and is salt and light in our lives, in every sphere, everywhere we go. It is impossible not to promote biblical justice, the things that God has laid out. It's impossible to read the scriptures and think God does not care about justice as he defines it and does not call his people to pursue that in the spheres that they're in. You would have to walk away from the scriptures, but it is important to understand them we not be confused. So the church... Matthew 28, we see the church is given the mission to make disciples. And what does the disciples do? What is it that individual Christians do? They go out as salt and light into the community, having been equipped that they might go and make an impact for the Lord, a sweet aroma of Christ, being the ones that are bringing about through the love of neighbor and the power of the Spirit in them while the world chases this unbiblical pseudo-justice that it creates its own standards and thoughts for, for what it is, God's people don't need to be afraid to be about loving our neighbor and doing biblical justice as we see in the scriptures. I think the devil, what the devil would love to see is Christians to do a couple of things. One, my faith is private. And it would be a horrible thing if I ever mentioned the scriptures to anyone. In fact, I probably should just keep it to myself completely so that when others are just spewing their opinions at me, I probably just need to sit back and shake my head, okay, yeah, that's great, and not participate in the conversation. That's one area I think the devil would love to see us do. Another would be that we might, as Christians, or even the church, take hold of the banner of the world and say, we're behind the world and all it wants and is doing. And we're going to set God's word aside because it's kind of uncomfortable to think about that and we're going to be one with our neighbors and what they desire. I think the devil would love to see that. I think the devil would love to see you afraid to be salt and light. He'd love to see you tasteless and in a light under a bushel. To be afraid to witness Christ and your attitudes, actions, words, and deeds. I don't, I'm not the devil. I don't know his mind, but but I could see the devil and the forces of spiritual darkness wanting that—an impotent church, an impotent Christian, scared of their own shadow, caring not for the glory of God, seeking not God's kingdom or His righteousness. If I was the devil, that's the things I would be pursuing. But again, we're not going to bring about a utopia. We've seen, sadly, that attempt over and over in history, and it always ends with a lot of dead people. So we're not going to accomplish that. There will be no heaven this side of glory and the return of Christ, the new heavens, and the new earth. Yet the Lord does call us to be salt and light in our lives, in every sphere we have, every day, in every moment. It's part of loving God by obeying him. It's part of loving our neighbor and one of the glorious things it does as is, is we love our neighbor in this way is that the Spirit as being salt and light adorns the gospel, opens the door for the witnessing of Christ and evangelism. So we're going to close just reading a few verses as we think about this social righteousness aspect. First, we're going to turn our attention to Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. As we read, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We we'll turn our attention back to Matthew, but we, uh, we go forward a little bit. Matthew chapter, six, or chapter 5, but verse 16, we read, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. and light. Second Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen, seventeen. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And there's tons and tons of more we can go to. Just one more. Titus chapter two, verse eleven. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, to us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Only Jesus satisfies his people's hunger for legal, moral, and social righteousness. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for this time we've had in your word. We thank you for the recording of the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. And, Lord, we do rejoice that we see this description of kingdom life in this fall as it draws our attention over and over to you it draws our attention to Christ in whom we have hope and salvation it's in his name that we pray Amen Well, this morning as we've, we've come together we have the, uh, the blessing of celebrating the Lord's Supper together As we come, our Lord Jesus, uh, he instituted this this sacred meal, this new covenant meal in the New Testament. As he said, do this in remembrance of me. And with it, we proclaim his death and his resurrection and his reigning until he comes again, in which we pray, will be quickly. This meal is a sign uh, symbolizing the benefits that we have in Uh, Jesus by faith, it's a a seal confirming our relationship with Jesus by faith. This is not just merely a a memorial. Spiritually present with us as we eat this meal together. But Jesus is not physically present in the elements as some have taught in church history. The bread stays the bread, the cup remains the cup as we are nourished by Christ and by faith we enjoy communion and fellowship in Jesus body and blood as paul wonderfully says in 1 corinthians chapter 10 verse 16 the cup of blessing that we bless is it not a participation in the blood of christ the bread that we break is it not a participation in the body of christ this happens as we feed on jesus by faith in our hearts since jesus is spiritually present at his table and his meal we have spiritual communion with Him. And we receive sustaining grace by the work of the Spirit in this supper. Now, people who participate in this meal should be sincere instructed, uh, uh, accountable members of the church of, of Jesus Christ. So if you're an unbeliever or uh, if you're online with us now, if you're an unrepentant believer, living in defiance of Christ's commands, if you're ignorant of the meaning of the bread and the cup, if you're not a, a member of a Bible-believing church, we encourage you at this time to, to let the elements pass and, and spend this as, as a season to pray, to cry out to the Lord. But if you are a sincere believer, by God's grace you've been admitted to the table by, by the elders of a Bible-believing church. You understand the meal what's happening you're able to come in a worthy way considering these things and we we heartily invite you for this is not the table of of Christ's Church Presbyterian but this is the Lord's table and we invite you to come and find ease refreshment and strength for your weak and wearied souls in the Lord Jesus Christ we turn to God's Word in 1st Corinthians 11 we read the institution of this covenant meal Starting in verse 23, For I received from the Lord, what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our Heavenly Father, God of all mercies and comfort, we ask that you might give your gracious presence and work through the Spirit to us now. We've enjoyed communing and fellowshipping with you during corporate worship and we ask even now as we come to your table we come to this new covenant meal that that we might even on a greater depth enjoy that communion with you. We ask that you might set aside these elements of, of the cup and the bread for your spiritual work in us. And as we come, that we might rejoice and be thankful for the great blessings that we enjoy being in union with Christ through faith, your grace of forgiveness salvation sanctification even as we look forward to celebrating the supper of the Lamb in the new heavens and the new earth oh Lord may this be a sweet sweet taste of what is to come be with us in Jesus name we pray Amen. Uh, this morning, I'd like to uh, in, invite uh, some of the elders that are with us, uh, if Ryan would, would come up, and Joel, if, if you're willing to come up. Uh, stand. you can come if you'd like, or, or you, can, you can stay seated. I think we can get it in the three of us. On the night in which Christ was betrayed, after giving thanks, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. We're going to bring the, uh, the element of the, of the bread around. Uh, there's allergy bread in the middle and the rest. If you'll hold uh, the bread until we all might take together and celebrating the unity that we have in Christ. It's giving your heart by faith that He remembers that Christ died for you. Lord, Lord, we do praise you and thank you for, for the life, death, and resurrection of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. The same manner that evening Christ took the cup, giving thanks to "This cup is of the new covenant." And sins of many take and drink. Again, we're going to bring the, the cup around if we will hold the elements until we might all take together the exterior of the tray, the, the red cups, or grape juice, the clear cups. As we remember Christ's death and resurrection. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for this day that you've given to us, corporate worship. We thank you for this coming meal. We ask for your blessings upon it that we might be spiritually nourished today, that we might see growth and sanctification we might uh, love you more pursuing your kingdom and righteousness by your grace Jesus name we pray amen And that evening as Christ instituted the uh, this new covenant meal with his disciples uh, they concluded uh, by singing together And we're going to do the same, responding to the reading and preaching of God's Word and uh, to the celebration of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Uh, We're going to sing In Christ Alone. You'll find it on page 9 and 10 of your order of service. So if you're able, I invite you to stand as we all sing together in Christ Alone. Now the Lord's blessing, His benediction for His people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance